we made the detection. We f we saw this in the data almost immediately. Um, Which is awesome. Yes. Because right? this one jumped out. I mean, you guys showed that. And we were never, you know, it, it seemed very unlikely that the very first time we saw a binary neutron star in spiral would be loud enough to see if you just made a spectrogram. So just a time frequency representation, you'd be able to see the chirp. We thought mm -hmm. for sure we'd need matched filtering to yeah, dig it out of the data. Talking to people about dark matter and neutrinos can be funny. Surely you're joking. Hopefully, yes. What a wonderful universe. Welcome to Surely You're Joking. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Peter Hickerson. Today was another exciting day from the land of gravitational waves, which luckily is near my house. Makes it very convenient to come down, talk to all these uh, Nobel Prize winning and hardworking scientists. And today is no different. We had an amazing announcement today about uh, gravitational waves detected from two neutron stars. And uh, to talk about it, I have one of the lead authors of the paper, Dr. Jess MacGyver, just like the TV show. Welcome well, to the show. Well done. Thank you very much for having me. <laughs> That's probably the first time that I've been able to pronounce a name correctly. <laughs> I loved time. that show. I loved MacGyver. <laughs> the new one looks a little weird, though. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it either, but I saw it in an ad and I was like, eh, not my... Not Mary my Jam. memories. Yeah, sorry. Uh, that's just what it's like seeing reboots. Okay, so speaking of reboots, we got yet another announcement from LIGO and Virgo. Can you tell us about it? But not just any announcement. Not just any announcement. <laughs> Definitely not a reboot. This was the first time that we've ever observed a gravitational wave signal from two neutron stars. Awesome. Yeah, that's really amazing. So uh, can you just describe what a neutron star is? And um... Sure. So... Neutron stars are incredibly dense, dead cores of exploded stars that have died in a supernova. And they're so dense that just one teaspoon of the material that composed these neutron stars would weigh more than a mountain. That's awesome. If that were actually a food product, I'd probably be eating it. Because <laughs> I just... <laughs> that's how my health's been going. Uh, <laughs> okay, so uh, I worked on this movie, Thor... You've probably seen it. And one of the one of the gems I, I helped get put in that movie is that I assumed that Thor's hammer was made out of neutronium and that that was how it could be made both heavy and light at the same time by being like some sort of advanced like structure of neutronium. Uh, but, um, but that's not on a star. It's like all neutron, neutronium everywhere, right? So um, so what, did the, what was so exciting about the signal and why is it different than the, the previous ones? The, so the, the previous black hole ones that we talked about on the show. <laughs> <laughs> so this is amazing for multiple reasons. So not only is it the first type of the gravitational wave signal we've observed, so it's the longest by far. So it's on the order of five minutes long. Mm -hmm. So from the oh yeah, I listened to it on the YouTube video, and I was gonna hook it up to play it. I'll I'll you throw should it do. In there. You should I will. do. I'll play it in there. <laughs> So um, it's also the loudest that we've ever observed. So it was the closest. It's only on the order of 100 light years away, whereas we've been seeing the black holes from... Like billions of Billions light of light years away, if not tens. Well, maybe not tens. On the order of billions of light years away. And I guess the, uh, the universe is like 40 billion light years to the edge now, although we don't see that far, but I think that's how far it is. I mean, we only see 13 billion light years. Right. But I think its actual size is now... 
40, but I guess oh, we would only be able to see 13. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the apparent horizon, I think. So anyway, but the point is, if yes. you see something billions of light years away, that's like almost that's all of the... That's a significant fraction of the observable universe, right. yes. So these things are super common. They happen like every couple months or something, or... Well, the one you're talking about, the one announced today, this is the first one you've seen. The so you, first one we've seen. So, so we're, we're less sensitive to these because neutron stars are much lighter. So when they merge, they make gravitational waves with a much smaller amplitude than black holes do. But being closer allowed it to be picked up. Yes. Right? 40 megaparsecs. That's I don't, I don't do megaparsecs. So <laughs> 100 light years. Oh, okay. <laughs> right, sorry, <laughs> sorry. 100 million. That's an important... Oh, 100 million. That's a lot of, right. that's a lot of zeros. Yeah, because uh, 100, we'd probably die or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Which I guess some people, somebody was telling, maybe you were telling me earlier, that might be uh, one cause of, like one resolution of the Fermi paradox that... Like maybe this kind of event like sterilizes life or something, you know, nearby. That would have been my dear friend Alex Urban. Ah, Alex. Okay. Postdoc here. Sounds He's like one. something he would say. <laughs> well, the reason it came up was because uh, I was at uh, DMP, you know, the American Physical Society's nuclear physics thing, and uh, there someone was presenting simulation results of exactly the event that you guys found, which I think was important into to to finding it. Right, doing the simulations to see what LIGO would pick up, and one of the things that some uh, one of the speakers mentioned was that Earth, like a, a planet like Earth, has lots of gold and lots of lead, which are the things that come out of this, right? Like they spew off heavy elements. The, yeah, heavy elements. Yes. Um, in fact, I think I read somewhere one of the announcements today. I thought it was like several moons worth, but apparently somebody else said no. It's like between one and a hundred Earths worth of gold might come out of these things. Although, I mean, the simulations are still pretty iffy, so right, it they might so not it, know. It depends <laughs> on how efficient your model of choice thinks that these events are at converting um, the uh, the jet and the interstellar medium into heavy elements. Because this is like the crust of the stuff kind of blowing off before it collapses? Is that so the... as, as the stars merge together, once their distance apart becomes on the same order of how big they are, so on the scale of maybe tens of kilometers, they start ripping each other apart. The tidal forces get so strong that they, they break apart. Mm -hmm. And then have earthquakes and, or I guess, neutron You're star sort of quakes. beyond earthquakes at that point, I think. <laughs> really, really bad ones. No, there's so many people from LA going like, I had a bigger one in Northridge. It's tore, a sixer. Tore the whole planet <laughs> apart. You know, what's nice about the Richter scale is it's logarithmic. So actually, I bet it wouldn't even sound that bad. It'd probably be like, oh, it's just a 30. <laughs> just like, whatever. There's, a, there's skeptical Southern Californians like, oh, it's not even a 40. Don't even get up. Don't worry about it. I'm like, ah, we just got collided <laughs> with the other one. Um you might not even see these coming, right? Because they're, they're almost going the speed of light. Like a third, I think Alan said, a third of the speed of light at the meeting. That's really amazing. Uh, someone on Twitter asked me why they were audible. And uh, that was like, that's part of the answer. Is like by a weird coincidence, our scale height, human scale height, which determines what frequencies we can hear. Like, uh, like cats and mice hear higher frequencies. So like you can only hear frequencies based on how big you are. Like we can't hear elephants because we're too small and we can't hear mice because we're too big. And just by a weird coincidence, that happens to be roughly the speed that two black holes or two neutron stars whiz around each other at the at near the speed of light. <laughs> it's 
like totally unrelated things, but then it makes for a really nice presentation. And that's it sure where, does. Well, we don't do as well with the black holes. So oh, we, right, because they're bigger, right? Mm-hmm. So they, you guys had to scale it up for that one? It's much easier to hear the chirp if you scale the frequencies mm-hmm. up, yeah. I also liked how this one lasted long, because there's like all this uh, build-up in the presentation where Alan was playing it, and it's just like, or I guess I should say Professor YC was like, um, was, was playing this thing. And for a while, I was like, is the sound on? Because there's just this really quiet part for a long time. Oh, it was time. great. It was like a movie trailer rumble. <laughs> right, I just, right. I was waiting for the in the world. <laughs> That's why it was hard to hear, because we didn't have like THX going up on the in the room. We should have had that like, it sounds like that. Yeah, yeah. If you find it on YouTube, which you should do, you should encourage people to get some good bass. Yeah, turn the bass up. You know, uh, I've tweeted this at SpaceX, but I don't think they've listened. But I, I'm really annoyed they don't put the base up on their rocket launches because I watch these things on YouTube, on my home sound system. I've got a subwoofer. I watch Blu-ray. I do all that. And then when I watch the rocket launch, I just hear this. It's like the entire point of a rocket launch is it's supposed to have a lot of bass and it doesn't. Well, we have some low-frequency microphones at Lager. We could lend them. We'd be happy to. The speakers or the microphones? The microphones. Oh, They okay. capture. They yeah. capture the sound? The- I'm assuming that's <laughs> where in the pipeline that we're missing. <laughs> Between the launch and your computer. <laughs> right. Oh, I see. Lager's going to donate to SpaceX. I mean, we need those, but... <laughs> Actually, oh, I heard you guys can see waves crashing. Can you see rocket launches? Have you guys tried? Mm. Oh my god, that'd be so cool! Oh, that would go so viral. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> if you could just like during a SpaceX launch, <laughs> like tweet out LIGO showing it, that would be awesome. We we see airplanes uh, overhead or taking mm-hmm. off. Overhead. Oh, because they do that rumble. The, yeah, the Doppler effect. Rumbling thing. Yeah. Yes. The summer sound. Yes. As a kid, I, I thought that was the sound of summer, because they kind of live near an airport, but not very close. So it just like really it was just the only time i was sitting in the backyard not doing anything i was like here are these airplanes going over well those airplanes boy do they shake stuff <laughs> and our so the lego interferometers are basically just optics <laughs> hanging out on their suspensions which are isolating them pretty well from seismic noise and you know the associated acoustic acoustic couplings to the vacuum chamber but you know, they still they still get through, and this this is how the ocean waves show up as well. So especially for the the Lego Livingston site, which is mm-hmm. down in Louisiana. So the winter comes, and then you get the ocean waves beating up not just against the Gulf mm-hmm. Coast, but also the Atlantic. Whoa. So when they yeah, and oh, if, man. Well, if then the, you've got to see a rocket launch. Oh my god, because because <laughs> they're over at uh, Florida. Oh please, you gotta go. You gotta go check the data. <laughs> I mean, I happen. highly doubt it. You but know, they're so loud. They're, they're oh, so loud, they're but they're pretty far right away. At, yeah, but they're aimed at... The, yeah. They're coming okay. through the air, not the ground. It's... That's true. That's true. Uh, so how big were these neutron stars? Uh, I had a f- trouble finding that in the press release. But, uh, do you know how, how... I mean, I guess you guys can... You know all that from the templates and the simulations. Right. So during the press conference this morning, we had, ironically to our institution's name, the California Institute of Technology, we had some technical difficulties getting our uh, showing of the press conference, but what we saw of it, Dave Wrightsey showed a pretty cool graphic where you can see really clearly the scale of one of these over the area of something like San Francisco or Los Angeles. It's Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but how many solar masses with it? That's right. They sort of, this is a very ominous, uh, yes. like, 
dark star yes. like ultra, hovering over ultra it. dense <laughs> yeah looking so at... it's you know volume wise much smaller than you'd figure but but mass wise it's not that much bigger than our own sun so yeah okay our... it's like 1.5 ish or something it's 1.4 is is oh, in, the within the right that's Plus within the that <laughs> range that we've calculated okay um now of course in reality if one of those was hovering over san francisco or something it would Suck it all up in a, in a well, very you know, short period of time. It, well, it's not orbital. I'm, I'm assuming we're not zero relative velocity here, but it would be terrifying, certainly. <laughs> it would be like uh, almost near stellar that uh, a lot of astronomers took issue with that. But that giant wave, I thought that was awesome. Some Me people too. didn't like it. Me too. I thought it was cool. Uh, I imagine something like that would happen with San Francisco, too. That there would be at least surfers, maybe, trying to catch it. I don't know. <laughs> So, uh, I, this has already come up. Uh, it was mentioned in the press conference that maybe it turned into the world's largest neutron star, or maybe it turned into... The universe's. The universe's largest neutron star, or possibly the smallest known black hole. Uh, right. Do you guys have a preference? Because I know do it we said... Have a well, you personally. Do you personally have a preference? Because it, it sounded like I got different answers from different mm. people, and that's always very interesting. I love it when collaborations say one thing, and then when you talk to people, they all have all kinds of opinions. I've been in a big collaboration, so I know how that happens. So I want to know what your personal vote is. But my personal vote, right? So I guess I should qualify both of those with, uh, you know, known by humans, the biggest neutron star, the smallest known black hole. I mean, I, the truth is that we don't have a good way of distinguishing that at the moment. And, you know, we the models might improve. So with the data we have recorded, we might come closer to ruling out one or the other or we'll observe more of these and we'll push our the noise of our instruments down to be sensitive enough to better be able to constrain them with the current models oh because um as you get more there's more information about those the crackling of the last moments right, and that right. sort so of this thing is all, this I is remember. all wrapped up in the high frequencies so like a, something like over 600 hertz or so so maybe even up above a kilohertz for some models so we are limited by it's called shot noise so these quantum fluctuations my, my of favorite kind your favorite, favorite kind, kind? Yeah. yeah well it's not my favorite <laughs> <laughs> it's the kind i've always been limited by which is fine do a lot and <laughs> it's that's fine uh yeah well, i did join the club that yeah, right, exactly. three more of you out there four including geo <laughs> So, um, yeah, so the simulation you guys show is very different than the black hole one. The black hole one, the rent horizon is very smooth. Even when they merge, they're kind of yeah. smooth. Point particles. This this one is like there was. There's yeah, stuff. There's it, matter. It, yeah, there's stuff going all over the place. And then I saw an artist, can, uh, like an artist renditioning of this. And I remember some people are like, oh, that's crazy. Look, at, look, it has all this crust and stuff. And then, but that's really kind of what happens. It's just like very violent cracking of hard objects kind of colliding. And so where it sinks into a black hole might be not that clear, I guess. Um, I mean, maybe it's just right under. I don't know. There have been, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> uh, so how long have you been working on this project? The whole I've time? been a member of the LIGO Scientific Collaboration for 10 years. That's awesome. Uh, but you, so you were an undergrad first? Yes. Uh, and then a grad student? Yes. Oh, and that's then a awesome. postdoc. And uh, when did you come to Caltech? I've been here for, I've been working for Caltech for about two years. I was stationed at LIGO Livingston 
Oh, on the ground. Yes, turning, on the ground. Turning nuts and bolts. That's, that's, well, that's the fun stuff. If they if they give me the wrenches, which, yeah, debatable whether or not that's wise, but I arrived <laughs> two weeks before the first discovery of gravitational mm. waves, and then I left two weeks after the announcement of it, and it was all just very now, nice timing. That's right, because you're, you're on a big collaboration. I've been on both. I've been on small collaborations, and I've been on big ones. And on a small collaboration, it's just grad student. Turn, you know, turn these, not everything is all, it's just manual slave labor for the grad students. But as soon as you get to the big collaboration, it's like, everyone's like, no, this is too important. <laughs> you can't touch it. And I guess Lego was probably like that at the time. <laughs> well, you know, we, we've got a bunch of very highly qualified professional engineers. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's what they did in the, the other, the, the big one I was on, they had techs and stuff like, yeah, scientists can't handle this. You don't, don't, don't touch it. <laughs> That happens a lot with, uh, we've had a lot of people from JPL on the show and they say the same thing. I mean, it's really engineers who built those those rovers. It's not the scientists studying Mars that built it. It's like the engineers. It's like I was glad very that particular about it. Um, Rana, in his talk earlier today, the Caltech version of the press conference showed the pictures of the people who make the things run. Yeah. That's important. I remember uh, Kip bringing up that he... I thought it was really moving, actually. He was like, I, because it, it sounded genuine. He was like, I don't feel like this should be given to me because the Nobel Prize, because, you know, the other people in the work, which is frustrating as being a, a former cog, well, current cog. It is, it's a little frustrating to, like, an, an entire experiment gets an award, but, like, only the people who, you know, were, grandfathered in and in most cases literally grandfathered in <laughs> like, um you know it's it's frustrating the prize is set up like that especially when the peace prize is like totally the opposite you know it's just like oh europe remember that just europe gets the peace prize <laughs> like, you guys haven't had a war in like 10 years that's super well excluding all the ones we're not counting but that was great of you guys <laughs> <laughs> They're run by different countries. I I did not appreciate that until this past summer. That Which the Peace one? Prize, I think, is done through Norway, right? And then the others are from Sweden. Oh my God! I didn't know that. No, I also just learned that it it's not actually the Nobel Prize. It's not. I saw this when I, when I was look watching one of the things that uh, it's somebody else's prize that it says in honor of Nobel. <laughs> did you see that? <laughs> Uh, I should have looked it up. Yeah, right. I'm feel, I feel like I should have Wikipedia this before. <laughs> it was really jarring. <laughs> it's like finding out linoleum's not real or something. You know, just when you're a kid, like, I thought we had gold. <laughs> you, know, like, you thought you grew up in a palace, and it was like, nope, it's floor tiles. <laughs> that happened to me. No, I didn't think I grew up in a palace. Um, so what are you going to do next? Are you going to keep working on this? Are you... Yeah, in the job sleep. market. <laughs> That's good. I'm gonna sleep. Uh, and I'm keeping was... you from your nap. I'm sorry about that. Sorry. I feel like it's gonna be a bigger investment than just one lone nap. So this was this was a crazy slog. So we we made the detection. We f- we saw this in the data almost immediately. Um, Which is awesome. Yes. Because right? this one jumped out. I mean, you guys showed that. And we were never, you know, it, it seemed very unlikely that the very first time we saw a binary neutron star in spiral would be loud enough to see if you just made a spectrogram, so just a time frequency representation, you'd be able to see the chirp. We thought mm-hmm. for sure we'd need matched filtering to yeah, like, dig it out of the data. Like the one in Virgo, it like, almost isn't th- visible there at all. And then in the others, 
It is. But that uh, that actually helped, though, right? Oh, that was, that that was tremendously lucky was... in a way. So the this, this sky placement, so where this came from in the sky, it was luckier for it to be near a null where Virgo wasn't sensitive. Cause that, a null? Like a null where, point. Where it goes to zero? Right, somewhere? so the, the sensitivity of the detector is, is low, a null. Right, and that, that was very lucky. That was tremendously helpful in localizing this. And then that allowed everybody to... Uh, so. So you guys sent out some kind of announcement, right? I don't know how you guys kept a secret. Well, it wasn't that secret because I knew about it, but <laughs> but that's because Barry Barry, Barry Barish like accidentally uh, slipped. So if you guys listen to the previous episode, there's a point where I had just heard about this through the rumor, and so I, was, I didn't even know that it was supposed to be a secret. So I brought it up. I was like, "Oh, you guys saw neutron stars colliding." And then he just his face went blank, and then he just goes. Uh, uh, that's not hasn't been announced yet. <laughs> he actually gave away that it was that it was coming by saying that. If he had just said, "I don't know what you're talking about," then it would have been fine. But he has a Nobel Prize; he's allowed to do that. So, uh, but you guys said it to like you have an alert system. Can you yes. tell me about the alert system? Because it sent it out to almost everybody, right? Well, we have <laughs> so we have memoranda of understanding. So we have these agreements with some some set of the astronomical community who agree to receive our triggers we call them circulars and in exchange but i bet you anything they're, they're rectangles I'm just <laughs> guessing circulars are never round circulars for circulating <laughs> sir oh okay my apologies <laughs> no worries <laughs> so yeah they're they're on the order of 70 or so, I think, groups that we have agreements with. So they all agree that they are not to publish. Like telescope groups, though. These That's are people who right. run telescopes. Yes, like observatories. Space tel- mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, you know, space, space satellites and ground telescopes. When do you get the upgrade between telescope and observatory? When do you get that? Because <laughs> I said telescope, you're like, observatory. <laughs> I don't know the answer to that question. Is it like you get a roof? I've heard, so before my time, that there was some disagreement about the naming of the Laser Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observatory as observatory for probably related reasons to your question. Oh, because I bet some people wanted it to be telescope, and then other people were like, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make a picture. Telescope has this connotation of like optics and optical light. Yeah, and And this is just like, no, we get a, it's much more like an antenna than a, Exactly. Because, I mean, it's, yeah, it's like exactly. an XY antenna, but, you know, with, with gravity and whatnot. <laughs> and uh, another thing I was really excited to hear is that so far, yet again, all these relativity predictions are perfect. Einstein was really right. It's very frustrating. <laughs> it's very frustrating. <laughs> well, kind of. I mean, because there's all these books out there, people going like, was Einstein right? Now it's just like, eh, yes. <laughs> no one's going to buy all the pop science books because it's going to be like spoiler alert. Well, it's because he's so right that we're able to do a lot of this really cool stuff. Yeah. But so the, the matched filtering searches just wouldn't work that well if we couldn't tell exactly what the signal was supposed to look like. Right. Yeah. So once it's not 100 million light years away, once it's farther than that, then we're going to rely on Einstein being right. Yeah, unless it's really, really close, and then it's not going to matter. Can you imagine like being like being an author in the in the mid '80s, and it's just like there's all these books, like who's Luke's father, and then just your entire franchise just disappears. That's what physicists feel like. No, so there's I mean, there's tons of cool <laughs> stuff. 
So uh, this is really funny in a not funny way, but in a nerdy way. Um, so my thesis was on uh, also used neutrons and also looking for tensor couplings, which gravitational waves are, uh, except this is, they're like totally opposite extremes. That's what's hilarious about it. So we, you know, uh, we look at single neutrons because we, we freeze them. We make ultra cold neutrons and we put them in a bath and then we watch them decay. And for tiny little corrections, if you look very carefully, you look for these tiny corrections to normal beta decay, which is, you know, what was giving off all these gamma ray bursts from the neutron star. That's one of the signals that was, uh, oh, we didn't even mention that yet. Oh, man. We that should was, get there. We should. This yes. is a great segue into that. <laughs> so one of the things neutrons do is they decay and they give off a, an electron. And when, nucle- when they do this inside a nucleus, lots of gamma rays come out. And uh, so you guys saw that. So can you explain... About how so you coordinated that. So our, our partners that. saw that. So the people who signed these agreements with the LIGO Virgo collaboration were the ones who observed all of the the vast spectrum of electromagnetic radiation. Oh right, because it was it was like infrared, visible, radio, X-ray, X-ray, gamma oh, ray, gamma ray. Yeah, so the the gamma ray one that's from the Fermi satellite, I guess, and integral or, also, and but integral. yes. And they they what's great about those is they don't have to be pointed. Right, they just they just sort of like are collect you know unlike a lot like LIGO and not like normal telescopes they like just collect it although they can actually tell which direction it's going roughly, which is pretty nice. Yes, um, but that's just the beauty of radioactive stuff. It just flies through things <laughs> for better or for worse. <laughs> that's what it does. But in this case, it was better because you guys saw this huge burst of gamma rays right afterwards. And, yeah, this and- this event was incredible. So with the gravitational wave signal, you could see. The evolution of the two neutron stars, so they're coming, they're spiraling closer and closer together, and then you can see this for hundreds of seconds before, then they merge, and then 1.7 seconds after, you start to witness this unfolding of across the electromagnetic spectrum, all these different counterparts. Like it it died down and got, like you said, it unfolding. What do you mean? Oh, right. So, So you get the gamma ray burst, which of course is... As you mentioned, the the radioactive elements being made and that's stuff right. like so that. So you get right. this very powerful jet, this mm-hmm. um, relativistic jet that shoots this gamma ray radiation outwards, and then we're starting to learn more about the astrophysics of the stuff around it. I right. Guess, right. Cause exactly. Because it's, it's getting colder and colder, but it's so the light is getting kind of and you're you're more having this um, and... R process nucleosynthesis. So you're you're making all these heavy elements, and then they're decaying, so you're seeing the radioactive decay from these, and then you can watch the signal evolve sort of from blue to red. So different different observatories and or telescopes will be able to, to sense this. By the way, this is, uh, this is something I love, is that this process is like starting a clock. And this is one of my favorite things. Like, a lot of people, if I, especially if I go to like a comedy show, a lot of people ask me like the the high end questions, like is God real and stuff like that. And I say, look, I don't want to get into the heavy stuff, but I do want people to understand how we know the Earth is the age it is, and this process is really important because we know really well like the moment that that zero time is set. Before we even knew for sure that this happened, we knew that all the elements are made with this R process, and then. You get all these long-lived, like, billion-year things, and what's great about it is you can tell how old things are by just measuring that ratio. So if we were, like, in the path 
of it. Let's say one of these happened nearby and chunks of it flew on the earth, we'd see a different ratio. We'd know that like wherever this thing came from was not the same place they do that. I, that's my favorite part of it. Well, now I have a lot of favorite parts. <laughs> <laughs> that's a spirit. Somewhere out there, there are planets yeah. just full of gold and platinum. <laughs> In fact, this was even used for a comet, I think. There was a comet that came. They put a probe near it, and I believe they think that it's not from here because the isotopes were wrong. But that's kind of off the top of my head, so I'll save that for another day. Uh, do you guys have one of these super polite collaborations? I was a I was in a collaboration that was half Italian, half um, half American, and everyone was so polite, especially on the Italian side. It was, it was so strange because it's not normally what people think of as Italian, but they were so they the the but only on these these like paper corrections. So it'd be like. I absolutely love all the work that you've done. It's perfect. It's awesome. You're amazing. Here's a list of 800 things that need to be changed. <laughs> it's, just like, it's like so polite that just like all these details. Um, but maybe that's just you have to be like that because if it comes off sounding, I'm terrible over email. I, I sound like a monster in writing. I, <laughs> I shouldn't be in science for that reason alone. Uh, that's one of the reasons I like doing the podcast because I, I think I sound more reasonable face to face you you get a lot of cues yeah a lot more than you do over email right <laughs> but when you know most of your collaborators the vast majority of your collaborators are more than 100 miles away from you you sort of you you get into a rhythm you figure out each other's communication style uh-huh. uh so what was your main contribution what was the main thing you worked on what part of the system so I am one of the leaders of the LIGO detector characterization group. Awesome. So we're sort of at the interface between the instrumentation and the astrophysics. So we're thinking about how the sources of noise in the interferometers are impacting our ability to extract the astrophysical information. So either to conduct searches for gravitational wave signals and or to analyze the parameters of those sources. So sort of like the signal and noise realm. So you look at both the signal and the noise and kind of like get that ratio up. Uh, I assume you, yeah, I assume you want to get the ratio up, not not increase the noise. Um, and that was most of the battle, right? Was getting noise down over the last 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, again, to the credit of our incredible engineering team and commissioning team, absolutely. But our noise isn't stationary. So for every moment in time, you have some noise spectrum and this evolves. So the one of the trickier things when you're doing a search for astrophysical transients is noise transients. We call them glitches. Glitches. Oh, okay. These are the glitches. So, so what's a what's a glitch? What's a glitch? So a glitch is some burst in the data, and these are particularly bothersome because they can mimic the behavior of gravitational waves. So if I'm running a matched filter search and I'm catching some power from this random noise glitch then that might trick me into thinking that this is a gravitational wave signal. So literally somebody in the background going, whoop, like that, <laughs> like someone doing that in uh, well, New Orleans or something. <laughs> oh, gee, not, New, not New Orleans. Um, so we, we have, as part of the experimental design, so the, the first check against this is that you require coherent power in more than one interferometer, because that's what general relativity tells us should happen. And that's required a very... Required 
Say that again. Require. Sorry, you you expect to see the same thing in more than one interferometer. I know, so we but I want to hear that term again. Required coherent, coherent power. power. Yes. I love that. That's going to be my first comedy CD. Nice. That's the title. I'm sure we can make a band name out of it. <laughs> yeah, band name. yeah. We we try and come up with uh, band names on here. Like a, a previous one was Neutrino Noise Floor because that was important. Yeah, that's I love that. Yeah. So that's who also. I would watch play. that band. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so these glitch. So, what's an example of one of these glitches? There are some very, very good stories okay. about glitches. <laughs> I love good stories. You love good, st- <laughs> yeah. So we, I don't know what it is about big astronomy and appliances. I feel like I'm telling the lead up to a bad joke here, but you have you heard the one about the Peritons and the um, radio telescope in Australia the park? Nope. Nope. Peritons are the birds they have down there? Per- well, Periton, I think, is a mythical creature, something to do with a bird and a stag or something like that. Again, mm-hmm. should have Wikipedia'd this before- <laughs> beforehand, <laughs> I suppose. So, but who, who would have figured this would come up, I guess? So the Park Observatory reported they were the only telescope that it was seeing these bursts of radio signal. They couldn't figure out where they were coming from. No one else was seeing them. And then finally they realized someone was opening the microwave door before the microwave was turning off. Oh, yeah, I think I have. <laughs> right. And this was these were the Peritons. So we have we have also had appliances. The people making popcorn and couple whatnot. into the data. Nothing <laughs> nothing microwave related yet. Okay. We have had a refrigerator. Mhm. That was a that's a good story to tell because we have, as part of the instrument design, we have this network of environment sensors that are sensing the magnetic field and the acoustic vibrations and microphones and seismometers and it's pem.lago.org. You should go check it out. Oh, it has them all on there. Yeah. Live? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's and their awesome. calibrations and their noise curves and. Yeah. So, like, I mean, an earthquake would be obviously. A very shaky kind of thing. Right. I imagine. I mean, it's our, our literally a wave going through, moving yeah. the the ground. It's, it's fairly obvious, as you <laughs> might imagine. So the goal is for any any signal that might come from outside of the site. So mm-hmm. we're worried about coherent noise because we're expecting coherence from a gravitational wave signal. So the design is that's that like, by coherent you mean like a stable frequency, like coherent. That's... Not white power. noise, so like what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's say to simplify that it it shares the same character, the same sort of time frequency evolution, phase evolution, and it of course has to be within the gravitational wave travel time of the different sites in your network. Oh right, because a big limit is the fact that you're seeing this thing on one side of the Earth, and then like speed of light later, you see it at another one. Because so, these things yeah. are just flowing through Earth. You worry then about noise that might do the same thing, lightning strikes. We were worried about oil rigs at one point. So the, I guess there was some lack of restriction, I suppose, that lets oil rigs off the coast of the Pacific do this chirp sweeping up in frequency to try to test. <laughs> <laughs> that literally is like... <laughs> right, so so we, we have a radio detectors and we have radio receivers at our sites to make sure that if there is some kind of global noise signal that we will detect it with a higher signal to noise ratio in our environment sensors than we will through whatever couplings to our data oh wow although i guess you also have pi in here right because like 
the light stuff has to go around. <laughs> Radio waves have to go around the Earth, and the gravity waves just go straight through it. Um, yeah, you do awesome. a little bit better if you're bouncing around in the ionosphere, but pretty much, yeah. Oh, okay. But they don't go straight through the Earth. Mostly. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, what about the, like the moon and tides? Can you see? Do you see that strain on there? Is that we really have big? to servo them out, so we have to. It's that big that you literally like drive the yep. the mirrors. You, put, you have to push the mirrors. Yep. Oh wow! Um, also, uh, with this hurricane, this recent hurricane. Uh, now I can't. Even, there were so many this year. I can't even remember. Not Harvey. Irma. Yeah, Irma. Uh, it dumps so much water. The that one was that Harvey. dumped that was Harvey. That was okay. Harvey. Uh, they dumped so much water that seism- seismographs showed Louisiana actually like lowering by an inch from the weight of all the water. So were you, able, were you guys able to see that? I mean, probably. How do you even operate in a hurricane? Do you do you do that? I mean, I guess you're underground. The last so. one, well, not not quite underground. Uh, we're above ground. Oh right, you're in the tube. You yes. yeah, throw some Concrete dirt tube. on it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> so the last hurricane that came through, they they shut the site down. So everybody went home and stayed there for safety. Okay. I worked on a neutrino detector in Italy, and they had some earthquakes there. And the uh, the detector is a bolometer. So when an earthquake came through, actually, really interesting, when you're inside a mountain, the earthquake is not very strong. So very few people felt it because I guess the wave kind of goes over, which is a little strange to me. I don't quite get that. But anyway, apparently it goes over the mountain. But the people inside, they didn't really feel it, but the detectors felt it. And they have a recording of it when they all of a sudden, because it, it just heated them all up because they were jiggling. And then just like, and then it took like hours to settle back down. Yeah, we see the same thing. From so, an earthquake? Right. Yeah. So the earthquakes awesome. can, can shake up our detectors and it'll so take a while. Do you guys have to cut that out completely? Or is it like if we see like just the best implosion of all time or, you know, collision of all time and it happens during an earthquake or you just out of luck? Or what do we, what do? We do? So SpaceX with earthquakes, the, so earthquakes are low enough frequency that usually the limiting factor is whether or not we can stay, keep the light resonating. We call this being in lock. The laser light is locked. So if we can continue to push on our optics to make sure that they're staying parallel to each other and they're not wandering around either in relative distance or in angle relative to each other, mm-hmm. then we can keep taking data. If we lose that, if if they start moving so much that we can't push hard enough on them to keep them resonant, then we we lose the data. Okay, awesome. Um, do you get any uh, like MacGyver jokes all the time? Well, all it's, the time? It's or a huge just function like a, of age. I'm sorry yeah. to tell you. <laughs> oh, which direction? The older. Oh man, the other way. I was just about to say, do the youngsters come in and say, "Tell a bunch of MacGyver"? You're like, no, they're just like, "What's MacGyver?" That's not Rick and Morty. (laughs) (laughs) Stop Stop with your old-timey bad jokes. Um, That's a shame. No, it's fine. (laughs) I do enjoy them when I get them. (laughs) But it dates people. But I'm telling you, there's a remake now. It's just not very popular. But there is a new one out. It's just nobody's watching it. Because I think the world's sick of reboots. But, uh, I feel that. I feel that. You know what, millennials? There's going to be a reboot of Rick and Morty, and then the joke will be on you someday. I sound like the get off my lawn guy. <laughs> I say that. All right. Well, uh, 
Jess MacGyver, Dr. Jess MacGyver, thank you for being on the show. It's been really fun hearing about this. Do you have a, do you want people to follow you on social media or anything like that? Uh, you want to shout out any, plug anything? No, you don't want to plug anything? Well, being a plug millennial, science. I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> really? Is that a thing? I don't think that's a thing, but I am not on Twitter. Oh, okay. All right. Well, would you want to plug science in general? Yes. Be like, go science. <laughs> oh, you know, you know, it would be really cool if you're interested in the way that noise does really cool and funny things to our interferometers and you want to help find gravitational waves, you should go to gravityspy.org and but help us classify our noise. That's awesome. You go through and you like, people can pick out. Yeah. Sign- oh, we, that sounds awesome. We have actually made real changes and improvements based on people's input through Gravity Spy. So please That's do check awesome. that out. Oh my God. I love it. Like, hey, that sounds like my garage door. Like that kind of thing. <laughs> people send that in. Uh, wait, quick story. I got to tell you this. So there's this song by the Chemical Brothers, also very dating. I know. Sorry. Uh, but when I, was, when I was in college, I remember I was trying to get some sleep in the afternoon and uh, there was this like weird sample in one of the songs. And then somebody like switch their car alarm on and it just hit me like a lightning bolt. I was like, that's the sample right there. <laughs> so sometimes that happens, you know, sometimes you just, you recognize that you're like, Oh my God, that's it. Um, all right. You know, there's an amazing story that I think maybe you should hear sure. about yeah. the wonderful processing power of the human brain when it has auditory input. So there's this one source of noise. This is at the very beginning of our second observing run, so about December or so of this past year. And we see this source of noise. It's, you know, we're, we're plotting it in different ways. We're looking at it and we're picking it apart. We're like, wow, it's got this very concentrated frequency. And it's, you know, it's got all this substructure and time. It comes in chunks and each one of those chunks has got... You know, some it's broken like up. Some chunks. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what could it be? What a mystery. We see it in the microphones and we see it in the accelerometers and we see it in all these sensors and it's near our laser. We localized it really fast to like where physically it was coming from near the detector. But somebody, so we, we often do this because our brains are very, very good at decoding what's happening in a complex time series. So we played it. So we turned it into an MP3 player, MP3 file and we played it. It's the phone. The phone is ringing. <laughs> That's awesome. The phone is ringing ne- right next to our laser. And if you listen, you, it's really hard to see if you plot the data in, in time and frequency. But if you listen, you can hear it ring. Nobody picks up. And then you can hear it ringing down the corridor <laughs> awesome. to the next one. Then you can hear the speakerphone pick up. That's awesome. I had the, the Mystery re- solved. <laughs> I had the reverse happen, too. I was listening to this song. This is like... Songs from the 90s night or something. Anyway, uh, there's a song by Aphex Twin. Have you heard of Aphex Twin? Like, do ambient and, and electronic music. Anyway, there's this weird sound at the end of one of the songs. And it's just, like, the coolest sound. It's like, it's like this weird evolving thing. And uh, back when it was fun to visualize music, like, uh, I put it on this visualizer, and it's the dude's face. He, like, put his face into a song and played it, and it just sounded awesome. But it was, like, so it's, like, the opposite. It's, like... There's sometimes you can't, con- I guess our brains don't convert one to the other. <laughs> That's so Not funny. Not very well, apparently. The phone. That's great. Half the millennials are going to be like, what's a phone? <laughs> With a landline even. Right. Oh, a landline. Yeah. Because labs still have those because you need them when you're in a lab. Because you might be in an electromagnetic sealed box or something. You never know. In fact, you guys probably are. <laughs> yeah. We, when I was at the Livingston site, we would get telemarketers calling the control room 
Yeah, we had that too. It was all, yeah, it was really annoying. We gave our number out to the pizza place because we order pizza and yeah, it caused some problems. <laughs> all right. Jess MacGyver, thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Really fun.